Uh, today we're doing the portion of Yisro. That's the portion in which it talks about the Torah, right? So let's talk about a little bit about the Torah today. Uh, again, this is based on Lakutis Sikas. Now, I don't know if you noticed, we're doing volume 16, Yisro 3. 1 and 2 we did last year. And this year we're doing 3 and 4. And there's actually one more. There's five. I'm just wondering. I don't know exactly what's going to be. I, I follow the schedule. Mom, can you shut it or listen here? Uh, they, um, I'm not sure exactly. You want to mute it or? Okay. Or um, they're going to do one from here and one from somebody else. But anyways, I'm following their schedule. So today, in this uh, talk, by the way, do you know what Sicha means? Sicha means a talk, they, a discussion when the Rebbe talks. Sichos or Sichot is plural for talks. Likute Sichot, Sichos for talks. So these are, Likute means a collection, a collection of the Rebbe's talks. What they used to happen is they used to... Uh, before every Shabbat, they used to take from the Rebbe's talks, and they used to prepare it, so they would study it, and then they put it into a book format. They used to have a, a pamphlet, a booklet, before Shabbat, people would study it, and then they would uh, read it. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the Shavuot Matan Torah. We want to talk a little bit, what is so special? What was accomplished? We got the Torah. We see in the parasha, we read a lot about the noise that took place, there were thunders and lightning and uh, all kinds of um, display, like a real fireworks display <laughs> over there when Hashem gave the Torah, you know, it was like, a, uh, and so there is a statement, I want to read a statement from the Talmud, okay? So the Talmud reads like this, Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef was a known rabbi. We'll talk a little about him. He's one of the sages of the Talmud. Okay, not from the earlier sages. He was from the Amiroim. So this Rabbi Yosef, I, don't, I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have any, oh, Mrs. Brynan is on now. Yeah, yeah. Good evening, Mrs. Brynan. Here, it says like this, that Rabbi Yosef, on Shavuos day. Who knows what happened on Shavuos? Torah the Ten Commandments. So, Yom is a reference to Shavuot. On the Shavuos day, Amar, he said like this, Avdi li eglotilsa, make for me a calf. Wanted to add a good piece of meat. Eglotilsa is considered to be a very different interpretation, but it means a good piece of steak or a good uh, a good piece of meat for those who still eat meat. But so he says, make me a good piece of meat. Why? Omar, because he declared like this. He says, Had it not been for this day. What is the day? What is he talking about? He's talking about Shavuot, when we received the Torah. If not for this day, which brought about Kamo Yosef Iko Bishuka. How many Yosef would there be in the marketplace? 
Now here we're talking about Rav Yosef, the big Rabbi Yosef. So he's saying, if it's not for the Shavuot, if it's not for the Torah, what would be my specialty? Would be people in the marketplace, there would be a lot of Yosef in the marketplace. I would be nothing special, there would be nothing special about me. So therefore, I'm going to make a big celebration. You know, they say about a... Um, trying to remember about who it said. He said he'd get up in the morning and he'd start to dance. He says, why would he dance? He says, he remembered that he is a part of the chosen people. He said in the morning blessings that Hashem has created him to serve him. So he was very happy. So he started dancing. He says, wow, I am so privileged. Rabbi Yosef, when it came to Shavuos, he says, let's make a big meal because if not for this day, there will be many Yosefs out there. Now, I'm Rabbi Yosef. Okay, that's the statement. Now, you know, it's interesting. We find in various Midrashim and in the Talmud, in various places, it says that even before Hashem gave the Torah, there was the study of Torah that took place. So, the study of Torah, the observance of the mitzvot. I mean, if you look at the Ten Commandments, they are pretty straightforward and simple mitzvot. They're nothing... And, and people used to observe the mitzvot. There's various references to this, that the forefathers did it, the tribes did it, so they were performing mitzvahs. They studied Torah. It says about Yehuda, he was sent. There was all, all, a lot of the yeshiva, shame, ve'ever. There was always people studying Torah. So the question is, what did happen? What happened on Shavuot, Amat and Torah? What really happened? Why was it such a big... It wasn't the discovery of the Torah because the Torah was there before. What happened on Shavuot, the Matan Torah? Yes, go ahead. I want to hear an explanation. Go ahead. So I read from the Rebbe this morning, so okay, I cheated. Okay, excellent. Go ahead. <laughs> um, it said, I'm not going to say it precisely, but um, it connected the spiritual with the physical. So Good point. Um, excellent. So, yeah. we, so because we were given the Torah, we can now bring things up. We can um, raise sparks from the material world to go to the heavenly world. Before very, we very could nice. perform the mitzvah, but it wasn't going to change the physical. It was just going to help our souls. But now we have the power to um, create change to bring the physical to the spiritual and connect both. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Which basically, what's the difference between before the Torah was given and afterwards in its impact. Go ahead, Janice. We became a nation under God. It was a formal greet, a covenant that now we were God's people and we were going to uphold the mitzvot. We may have done them before, but this was our agreement that we were going excellent, to do them. Excellent, excellent. One more one addition to what you're saying, Janice. 
before we almost did it voluntarily. We weren't commanded to do it. It was sort of a perfection on our part. We wanted to do, you didn't have to do it, right? Because you weren't commanded yet. We didn't get the Torah. So Abraham, say, Jacob, Isaac, Jacob, the tribes, they wanted to study Torah, but they didn't have to. They weren't commanded. They did it on their own. When we do mitzvot today, we study Torah today, we're doing it because Hashem told us to do so. This is where the point that Nancy was making comes in. Because when a person does something from their own uh, decision, with their own power, they're limited by their powers. How high can you go? Or how deep can you impact? As Nancy said before, we could not really impact the material matter with our commitment to Hashem because we didn't have the power of God in it. It was only our power. Our power is limited to what we have on our own. After the Torah was given, when we do a mitzvah, we have Hashem's power. Hashem says, we sort of become agents of Hashem to make change. And therefore, we can take physical matter, we can take mundane matter, and we can make it holy. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the power to change around the material, the physical. But when we are commanded by Hashem, over there we change the physical. The physical becomes holy. You know, you can see that uh, when the forefather, they did a mitzvah, after they finished the mitzvah, then the item did not remain holy anymore because it was only a temporary, it was a holiness one, and then it left it. But when we do a mitzvah, some mitzvah, tashmisha, mitzvah, gedusha, a Torah scroll, a mezuzah, there are different items that actually get and become, they change their material when we do a mitzvah with them. And the Rebbe says that that is to impact the street. What do I mean to impact the street? The street refers to as a public domain. What does it mean, a public domain, versus a domain which is designated for Hashem? When we look around in the world around us, we don't necessarily see Hashem as the one. Well, we know that Hashem is in control over everything. Hashem supervises everything. Hashem vitalizes everything. We know that. But when you look in the around you, you don't see that. Maybe the reverse is true. When you look around, it almost seems like this is a 
kind of a jungle, you know, like in a jungle in which survival of the fittest, you know, they have the animals, they need to eat, they're eating each other, and whoever is stronger wins, and the other one becomes the meal for the other one. In a certain way, you look around in the world, you see that it seems like chaos. It doesn't seem that Hashem is running the world. So, the street is called a public domain where there's just all, like you say, all ideas and all kinds of of things over there which are contrary to the unity of Hashem, the oneness of Hashem, of the realization that there's only Hashem and Hashem is the only thing of the world. And as we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, that the world is one, Hashem is one. The world is really one place. So the Torah helps us change the marketplace, sort of the shushuk, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, they sing this song, I don't know if you ever heard it, it says, Hey, Johnny, 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 what are you doing in the market? What does it mean, the market? The market is, Johnny means John Doe, you know, just every person. What are you doing in the market? What's the market? There's a market of ideas, there's a market of the world, there's just, life is a market, there's a marketplace of things are happening and things are exchanging and going so what are you doing in the market over there? He says, you don't buy. You got to buy something. You got to sell something. So you're just hanging around and doing nothing. There's a marketplace over there. So there's a marketplace, and we have to impact that marketplace. So really, there is, Drebi translates it, there's a lot of Yosef. What does Yosef mean? Yosef means add. There is a lot that you can add to the marketplace. Yes. But you can't change the marketplace. But Rabbi Yosef was saying that when Shavuos, when Hashem gave us the Torah, then it became in a way that the Torah takes charge of the world. In other words, we're changing there's no more, we're not talking, even if there was Yosef, people learned Torah, they did mitzvahs, but it was all in the marketplace, which means the marketplace remained a public domain. Rabbi Yosef said when it came Shavuos, it made a change that now the whole world, when we do a mitzvah, when we, you know, all of our lives, whatever we do in the world, even if we do mundane things, but if we do it for a good purpose, we do it l'shem shemayim for Hashem. We do it in a way that we learn about Hashem. Everything in the world, then we are changing the world, and we're making it a place for Hashem to be in. So it's no more shuka. It's no more marketplace. It becomes a place where we sold and bought, and we have taught the world. The Rebbe comes up with a very interesting idea uh, that not only when we actually do the mitzvah that we're obligated, but just the fact 
that the world has become a place which is ready for mitzvahs to be done in it. Materialism, physical things, before they weren't capable, you couldn't do anything with them. But today, every item in the world can be done. You can work with everything and turn them around, make them into into holiness. You can make everything that you use, that you see, that you learn, that you touch, that you feel, can make everything into a place for Hashem, whatever we do. So, what was special about Rabbi Yosef? Unfortunately, the Talmud tells us Rabbi Yosef was blind. Rabbi Yosef was blind. Now, this was a statement also from the Talmud. Rabbi Yosef said like this, what does one thing, who gets more reward? Does a person who is doing, Abraham, let's say, Yitzchak and Yaakov, they weren't commanded by Hashem to do the mitzvot. Do they get more reward because even though even though they weren't commanded and still they did it? Or is it greater a person that is commanded and does the mitzvah that he's told? Who is considered to be on a higher level? Is it someone who doesn't have to do volunteers and does it out of their goodwill, does a mitzvah? Or is it a bigger mitzvah when you're commanded to do? When you have to do the mitzvah. Rabbi Yosef being a blind person... Yeah, go ahead, Chayana. No, no, I think I heard once that it's more of a, um, a mitzvah, someone who's commanded. We're going to quote now, that's correct. Go right ahead, go ahead. That's from the Talmud. I'm going to quote that piece of Talmud. You see... A blind person is exempt from mitzvahs according to one opinion. One opinion says that a blind person is exempt from mitzvahs. The other opinion says no, a blind person is obligated to mitzvahs. And I told you that Rabbi Yosef was blind. So Rabbi Yosef said like this. In the beginning, he says... I thought that, oh, I'm exempt from mitzvahs, so if I do mitzvahs, that means that I'm on a higher level because I'm not even told to do anything and still I do it. So that means that he was of the opinion that when you're exempt of doing a mitzvah and you do it, that's a higher level. But then he says, no, 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 I learned, Rabbi Hanina said, that one who does a mitzvah, when he's commanded to do the mitzvah, is on a higher level. So therefore, Rabbi Yosef says, you know, I'm going along with the opinion that says that a blind person is obligated to do mitzvahs because I want to have that special privilege. In the beginning, he thought that it's greater when you're not commanded. And therefore, 
he said, okay, I don't, I'm not obligated to mitzvahs. I'm still doing it. I'm going to get more reward because I don't have to do it and I'm still doing it. But then he learned that it's greater one who is commanded and does it. So he says, oh, no, no, no. Now I want to go along with the opinion that says that a blind person has to do mitzvahs and therefore I am obligated to mitzvahs. It's basically the similar point that I made before, quoted before, that we discussed, that when you're commanded to do something, you have Hashem's power in you. You have the commander's power. Yeah, go ahead. You have Hashem's energy, Hashem's koach, in order to achieve that. You know, a lot of times, we ourselves can't really do everything that we are supposed to do. We rely on Hashem to give us the koach, to give us the energy, to give us the uh, determination. Because everything that we do needs Hashem's help. So when we're commanded to do something, then Hashem gives us that extra help that we need. Even if we're not on such a high level, but because Hashem tells us to do it, He has to give us the koach, because He's the one that's telling us to do it. So when you do it on your own, sometimes you succeed, and sometimes you don't. But when Hashem tells you to do so, then He gives you the koach, and then you know that you are going to succeed. So it's much greater, and we know more that when you uh, are commanded to do so. So, what is Rabbi Yosef saying here? So, Rabbi Yosef, the Rabbi ties this in. He says like this: When Matan Torah was was given, uh, then all the items of the world have become at a higher level that potentially, even if the person is not fully obligated, and yet it makes a difference. That's why Rabbi Yosef is saying this statement, because Rabbi Yosef, who wasn't really obligated, but he says when Shavuos came around, even before the full obligation is, but now there is already an obligation, because, okay, maybe he himself is not obligated. It's interesting, the Rebbe brings this out also as far as women are concerned. Because you know, I'm sure, that women are not obligated in all the mitzvahs, like men are, right? But the Rebbe brings in very interesting. Like, for example, mitzvahs that are time-bound, women are exempt. So those mitzvahs that need to be performed only at a specific time, women are exempt because we can't expect the women to tie themselves down to a certain time because of their other obligations. But what it really means is that uh, the husband, the children, whatever, the family, the parents they daven for them, or they do the mitzvahs that they are not supposed to do, that they don't obligate. But the Rebbe says, 
once Shavuos came into place, the Torah was given, the whole world was changed around at that point. So even those who don't have a direct obligation, when they do a mitzvah that goes for women, that goes for Rabbi Yosef in his case, who was maybe not obligated, if they do a mitzvah, they get the full power of being able to change around the world with the power of the Yom, of Shavuos, of Matan Torah, in order to be able to make a difference. So Shavuos, that's why the Rebbe says, it says here, the day of Shavuos. It doesn't say the study of Torah. It doesn't say the actual mitzvah. Because the fact that on Shavuos, the Torah was given, it's changed the whole world for those who are actually obligated in every mitzvah, or even for those that are not fully obligated, but yet they do the mitzvah, they're able to change all the material world. It's the day of Shavuos that changed everything, not the actual mitzvah, the day itself. And that's how the Rebbe explained why Rabbi Yosef said it. Rebbe brings out a further idea, and I want to go to the next. The next, this is more a, uh, a Talmudic over here discussion, but I also wanted to discuss a little bit from the second Sicha in a minute. But I want to bring up one more point the Rebbe brings out. So they were looking for someone to make a rabbi. The previous rabbi has passed away. So they were looking to make a new rabbi. So they had a question, which of the two, they had two candidates to, I mean, they didn't put it for the shul committee or things like that. They asked the other rabbis, they sent them a question. He says, which one should, which which rabbi should they choose? So what were the choices? One of the rabbi was Rabbi Yosef, this Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef was, even though he was blind, but he knew all of the Torah. He can verbatim tell you every law, just as it was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. He was just a fluent in every part of the Torah. He had an encyclopedia memory, and he knew all of the Torah. The other rabbi didn't know as much as him. His name was Rabbah, but he was a brilliant scholar. He was able to figure out, and he was able to take a sentence and really delve into it and take ideas from the various different uh, passages. He was able, he was a, a brilliant, brilliant man. So Rabbi Yosef was knowledgeable and everything, but he wasn't as, uh, actually they call him like this. Rabbi Yosef is called Sinai, like Mount Sinai. That's where the Torah was given. So he knew, he knew all the Torah. Rabba was called an Oikir Harim. He would uproot mountains, which means logically he would 
says he would uproot mountains and he'd grind them one against each other with his ideas. That means he came up with all kinds of uh, insights and all kinds of uh, different uh, deep analysis. So which rabbi should we take? Should we take, they said, should we make Rabbi Yosef the one who knows it all? Or should we take Rabbi who is a greater seemingly like a greater scholar, he's smarter, more brilliant. Who should we take as a rabbi? So the rabbis answered, the one who is knowledgeable, he is more important. Why? Because everybody needs to know the ruling, or as the Gemara says, wheat, everybody needs because that's the staple that we all need, the food to eat we all need. But, you know, ideas to come up, you know, you have to, people need to know how to daven, they need to know the halacha, they need to know the custom, they need to know the ruling, they need to know the simple thing. Does everybody need to know ideas, how to figure things out? Therefore, that's more important. Yes, Chayana? I do have a question. Sure. So is that also on the level of Yira? Like a person who does it, you know, the law, the way it's supposed to be, seems to be on a higher level in terms of Yira Hashem versus someone who comes up with their creative insights. So I'm just wondering if that yeah, might no, be... Yeah, no, but I don't think here the issue was the Yira Shemayim, the, the fear of heaven. It was just the... And they were both, I'm sure, and they were both knowledgeable... And they were both smart. The question is, which is higher level? What's more important? So he says, more important for Rabbi. But look, it's interesting what the Talmud concludes. So what do they say? That the rabbi who's more brilliant is not as important as the rabbi who's more knowledgeable. That's what the Gemara they conclude. But what did the Gemara say? Still, Rabbi Yosef did not accept the job until after Rabbi, the second rabbi, got the job. Only after he passed away did Rabbi Yosef take the job. Because out of respect for the brilliance of the other rabbi, he would not accept the leadership. He did not become the rabbi. And he allowed for the other one for 22 years. Forget the Talmud says how long he was there. And he didn't accept it. So, the Rebbe, the, what the Rebbe says, so Rabbi Yosef, he was a blind man, can you imagine? <laughs> he could not see, okay? Knew the Talmud and everything more than anybody else. And yet, everybody needed him. He was the master Everybody, the Gemara says, everybody needs the master of the wheat. He knew everything. Everybody needs the master. He knew it. So the Rebbe says, look how Rabbi Yosef impacted everybody. The Rebbe says, whether Rabbi Yosef was actually obligated in the mitzvot because he was bl- blind or not, in this case doesn't matter because 
Rabbi Yosef impacted everybody else's life because the only way that everybody knew how to do what they needed to do was based on Rabbi Yosef's teachings and rulings and the knowledge that he had. And therefore, even if he was exempt, but he impacted everybody else. That's why Rabbi Yosef says this then. And, you know, when I read this about this thing, you know, and I think what happens if you have uh, one person that has both, Rabbi Yisrael, I'm in the middle of a class, I'll call you back after the class, Mr. Shem, I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, the Gemara I cannot help but think how the Rebbe encompassed this both of this <laughs> he knew everything and yet he was <laughs> coming up with all these brilliant ideas you know so it's not a question either or <laughs> over there they had a question either or because the two rabbis had different qualities but if you have both qualities in one person, and on top of that, you have a person who, as the Gemara says, everybody needs them because, not only because they know the laws, but they impact the whole world. They turn, they take the shukri, they take the marketplace, they take the place of all kinds of strange ideas, and is able to bring it all together and turn it in to the service of Hashem. So, it's not a question, you have it all, all these great, uh, all these great levels together. That's a fascinating concept about the Rebbe, you know, but we're not learning about the Rebbe now, but it just strikes you when you're learning about what's greater and what's not, but if you go, yeah, go ahead, Chayana. Another question about the Rebbe. Sure. Um, so he, it took him a year before he agreed to become the Rebbe. Okay. So I'm wondering, in the same way, you know, Yo, Rabbi Yosef was respectful to the other rabbi, do you think in some ways uh, Rabbi Schneerson was respectful to his brother-in-law? By it's a very interesting concept, idea. Uh, it's uh, that, But, you know... I hate to say it that way, but Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef, there was a question because Rabbi, but uh, the Rabbi's brother and the Rabbi, there was no question. Not, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a... Did the Rabbi feel like... It wasn't even... No, but did the Rabbi feel out of respect that he didn't want to take it right away? Uh, I don't, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's certainly a little bit of everything. And it's a little bit, as you see in the Parsha, just a couple of weeks ago, Hashem wanted to appoint Moshe Rabbeinu as a messenger. Hashem alone was begging him, right? And Moshe said, no, 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 right? Why? Because it's a real leaders, as Rebbe says, you know, politicians run for office. They don't walk, they run. <laughs> but a leader who knows the responsibility, so there's a lot, a lot of that, that you, what you said, and, you know, there's, you know, one can, uh, you know, Rebbe said a lot of words himself, he says, I'm not worthy, in the Rebbe's first minor, I know myself, I'm not worthy, you know, the Rebbe, 
didn't, you know, the Rebbe's brilliance and everything else, and the Rebbe's holiness, the Rebbe's righteousness, is beyond anything, but he himself didn't really hold himself to the standard that, you know, uh, so he, he tried, but I don't, You what you're bringing up is another idea, which, again, I'm not sure how valid that is, the previous Rebbe, it's just my, uh, maybe I read it, I'm not sure if if you can say that. The previous Rebbe physically needed help in his later years. He was wheelchair-bound, he was partially paralyzed, and other medical conditions, which physically he needed help. His daughter, Chana, the older daughter, Chana, the Rebetzin Gorari, she lived with the Rebbe in the same building in 770. And the Rebbe and his wife and the Rebetzin, they never lived together with them. They had, first the Rebbe lived in an apartment building on New York Avenue, and then the Rebbe moved to this person, private house on President Street. But the Rebbe never lived with them. It turns out that the Rebbe Tzinchana provided the physical help for the Rebbe. It was a little bit seemingly a delicate situation uh, when the Rebbe needed to pass along the leadership and pass over the Rebbe Tzinchana, her husband, I'm sure she, she would like for that to happen, it was a very difficult thing. It was difficult, and and the Rebbe appreciated all the difficulties that the free the previous Rebbe had, and they definitely deserve the credit. And it's not for simple people like us to try to figure out what's going on in the house of the kings, in the Rebbe's house. Those are beyond our uh, ability to really be able to sort out. But I'll just leave it at that. It seems that was a difficult and maybe it was some of the consideration. And it says in the Hasidic thought, it says that while when Hashem created the world, He started off, Chofetz Chesed, He, from Hashem His own, Hashem just illuminated the world with a light and gave life force created everything. Later on, Hashem wanted the people, Adam and mankind, every Rosh Hashanah, we say, Hashem, be our king. We have to elicit. We have to ask for it and bring it out. It was the Hasidim's job to elicit by the Rebbe that Rebbe was a private person. The Rebbe was a scholar, he was a removed on a, on a different level than the most of the ordinary people. In order for the Rebbe to become a Rebbe for the Hasidim, the Hasidim needed to bring it out by the Rebbe, to call it out, to say to the Rebbe that we want you to be our Rebbe, we're going to connect, we're going to tie yourself, and you are going to be our leader. It took a year of this begging of the Hasidim and of the 
to bring the Rebbe to that point that the Rebbe agreed. But it couldn't perhaps just happen from the Rebbe. It had to come from the bottom up. It's like the cloud that comes from the bottom and then it rains. Eight yalim and ours, then it can rain from above. We needed to bring up the cloud to the Rebbe. We needed to bring the Sarusa de Latat in the language of the Kabbalah, arousal from below to bring the Sarusa de Leila to bring it down from above. So that was perhaps why it is. Not so much in that case over there, nobody had a question really, only the people that didn't know, but it, uh, it was quite obvious even then that the Rebbe has entrusted, the previous Rebbe has entrusted the Rebbe with uh, much of the thing. Let me just quickly, uh, because we're run out of time over here, uh, I wanted to just uh, quickly touch a minute on the other Sicha, which uh, over there it talks about the Torah. It says that God descended on the Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. So Rashi has a problem because in one verse it says that God spoke to the Jewish people from the heavens here it says God descended to Mount Sinai so Rashi explains that Hashem sort of took the heavens and all these spheres above the heavens heavens, and he brought it down Onto the mountain, he spread it out like a, like a bedspread over the mountains, and now he brought down the throne of glory on there. So, yes, he spoke from the mountain because the whole sky came down to the mountain, and Hashem was on top of the sky, which and the sky was on the mountain, so he was from the mountain and from the sky. That's how Rashi reconciles the difference. And the Rebbe uh, goes through various different explanations about we have, on one hand, we have that Hashem comes down to us, brings down the highest of levels to the lowest. And on the other hand, we have the highest level Hashem speaks to us from the skies. As the Rebbe goes on to explain, but unfortunately, uh, I'm out of time right now, and hopefully we'll meet again, everybody in good health, next week on Tuesday, and we shall continue our class, so it was uh, fun, I was a little bit uh, more happy today because I got some input, I like input, so you know, I like input, I like this a little bit more discussion shouldn't be just a lecture, and like, you ask, and we answer, and, you know, hopefully, uh, we can uh, make things more clear when people ask and, and answer. So anyways, everybody have a great night, a great week. Till yeah, next week you. at this time, we'll see everybody. Okay, thank wonderful, you. Wonderful class. Thank, thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.